0: midtown detroit studios of wdet this is detroit today
1: we have all seen in stark images and videos the physical damage that the russian invasion of ukraine is committing But less documented, at least popularly, is the way in which this kind of conflict disrupts and threatens to destroy a people and their cultural history. Today we'll talk with a Ukrainian-based writer who's drawing attention to the cultural price of the Russian-Ukrainian war. It's next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. It's now been a few months since Russia invaded Ukraine and the war there has turned into one of attrition. Russia is hoping to break down Ukrainians over time and Ukrainians are still resisting, still fighting to maintain their sovereignty. The results, of course, have been violent and chaotic. More than 7,000 Ukrainian civilians are reported to have died, and likely more than 12 million Ukrainians have left their homes, fleeing the country for other places. Inside Ukraine, buildings are being shelled, and it's hard to sleep. Difficult to know when the next bomb is going to drop and where. But a lot of people are still describing Ukrainian patriotism as inspiring awe, saying that their resistance is heroic. They just are not ready to back down. And that means the ongoing battle will continue to have rippling effects around the world with more refugees, more food shortages, more supply chain issues, and higher prices. This war does not appear to be going anywhere very soon. Our guest today, Andrei Kirchhoff, knows this war very well. He was born in Russia, but he grew up in Ukraine, and he has experienced the current invasion in Ukraine alongside his family. He's a novelist and journalist and author of more than 20 books, and most recently he wrote Gray Bees, which follows the 2014 Russo Ukrainian War through the eyes of a beekeeper. He's here today to talk about the toll that this war is taking, not just on the physical existence of Ukraine, but on the people, on the culture, and on the history. Andrei Kirchhoff, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Good morning. So you've been in Ukraine during the attacks on this country. Give us a sense of what it's like there. Describe what you and your family are seeing and going through every day. Well,
2: on the 24th of February, uh, me and my wife were woken up at five o'clock in the morning by explosions outside our house. We live in the very central part of Kiev, in historical part, next to Golden Gate and St. Sophia Cathedral. Our adult children Gabriela, who lives in London usually, and Theo and Anton, they were in Lviv with, our, with their friends on holiday in western Ukraine. So, I mean, uh, when I woke up, and I, I couldn't believe that I heard the, the explosions. So I was standing in front of the window trying to find some kind of traces of normal life outside. There were no people, no cars, and... Uh, only after 6 o'clock and after two more explosions that were heard, I saw a lady uh, from the neighbor, neighboring house with the dogs, walking the, the dogs. And I think for about 40 hours I couldn't still accept that this was the beginning of the war. We, we stayed together with my wife one more night in, in Kyiv, and then we picked up our friend with her son and went first to our village house to the west from Kyiv and then started driving uh, to Lviv. And I was at the wheel for 22 hours, but we didn't make it. It was less than 300 miles, but there were thousands and thousands of cars from all regions of Ukraine trying to flee to the west of Mm -hmm. the
1: country. So this was the beginning of, of this war for us. And give me a sense of how surprised you were when the war started, of course. Uh, Vladimir Putin uh, had said for, for a long time that he had planned to invade Ukraine. But I think a lot of people, up until it happened, didn't really think he would do it. I mean, there was still some skepticism about whether this would happen. I wonder if for you in Ukraine, the the beginning of this war was caught you off guard was was surprising in any way
2: well i mean the scale was surprising in fact it is true that about 60 percent of ukrainians didn't believe that the war will happen and uh, uh, president zelensky himself he was repeating uh, sometimes a couple of times a day that there will be no war and that actually it's all hysteria uh, that is provoked by american media So, I mean, he was coming down the situation, so uh, it's true that many people didn't believe in the war, and I myself, I was sure that something is going to happen because Putin brought 150,000 soldiers from all regions of Russia to Ukrainian borders. He brought, uh, I don't know how many dozens of trainloads of tanks and artillery, and you don't do this just to blackmail uh, the country. So, I mean, I I was sure he was going to use these troops, but somehow I thought that actually the escalation will be local, will be in Donbass, and he will try to take over a whole of Donbass. But, I mean, the the shelling of Kiev, Vinicius, all big cities, uh,
1: this was a a, a shock, of course. It was a shock for me. Hmm. So you were born in Russia, and you grew up in Ukraine, which I think is a really interesting perspective uh to have i wonder if you can spend a little time talking about the relationship between the two countries uh which has a very long history that i'm not sure that most of us who are watching footage of what happens during the war uh can can really understand and then talk about the tension that exists between the two countries and and i guess where it comes from
2: well it- It's a very complex question, but I mean, you you, uh, mentioned one very important thing. In order to understand what is happening, it is uh, necessary to find information about Ukrainian history. Because uh, Ukraine was independent until 1654. And then the last 200 years, uh, this was actually a war of Russia and war of the Soviet Union against Ukrainian identity, which meant also against Ukrainian culture. The whole generation of Ukrainian writers or writers of 1920s, 1930s was arrested and executed uh, on the island uh, Solovki in northern Russia in 1937-38. I mean, I am one of probably 7 to 10 millions of either ethnic uh, ethnic Russians in Ukraine or sort of half Russians, half Ukrainians. Hmm. My mother tongue is Russian, I write. My fiction in Russian, I started writing nonfiction in Ukrainian. But generally, there was never a problem on the street among people uh, between Russian speakers and Ukrainian speakers. Ukraine is a multicultural country. We have Hungarian speakers, Gagauz speakers, Crimean, Tatar, with their language and culture, etc. But, uh, of course, because of the difference in mentalities, and Ukrainians are individualists, uh, Russians are collective people. I mean, they, they, they had only monarchy in, in, in their mentality metrics. And Ukrainians, before 1654, they were free people. I mean, they had Cossacks' army, which was guarding the borders. But the Cossacks were not soldiers. They were not really very loyal to their commanders. And in Ukraine, we had election of the leaders, of, of Getman who was a military leader and leader of state, and of higher officers, So there was always more democracy and more anarchy at the same time in Ukraine. That's why Ukrainians never wanted to join, for example, collective farms in the Soviet times in 1920s and 30s. And because of this, up to 300,000 Ukrainian farmers were deported by the Bolsheviks, by the Communists, to Siberia. Because of this, Ukrainians were punished with artificial hunger in 1932-33, in in which up to 7 million people died. So, so, I mean, there was always uh, a drama in uh, Russian-Ukrainian relations. Mm -hmm. But in the Soviet time, it was forbidden to talk about
1: this artificial hunger or deportations. And the current conflict, um, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, says that Ukraine is inflaming tensions between the two countries and that the United States is partially responsible for those tensions as well. Um, uh, talk about from that perspective, I guess, what, 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 what's going on? Why is Russia invading Ukraine? And is Vladimir Putin right about any of the things that he's saying about what Ukraine is doing?
2: Well, I don't believe a word that Putin says. In fact, actually, 10 years ago, he loved to repeat that Ukrainians and Russians are two brotherly nations. Then he changed the narrative, and recently he was saying that Ukrainians and Russians are the same nation, one nation. Mm -hmm. And before the war, he said that Ukrainians don't exist, and Ukraine was invented by Lenin. So, in fact, actually, for Ukrainians, the... The choice was always uh, between Russian Empire or Soviet Union or slavery in the new Soviet Union, which Putin tries to create now, or remaining independent, free country. And uh, in this situation, the only uh, safe route into the future was via membership in European Union, uh, via European way of development. And uh, most of Ukrainians were for... European way of development because for Ukrainians, freedom is more important than money and stability and quality of life. For Russians, stability is more important than freedom. That's why they actually gave up their freedoms. They don't have a position. They accepted that Facebook, Twitter, Instagram are switched off by Russian authorities. They don't protest because they are frightened or they accept that they can change nothing. So, I mean, it is two completely different nations not only linguistically because i mean linguistically it is a questionable thing many languages are spoken in ukraine but psychologically and mentally they are definitely different and practically the
1: opposite mm. I'm talking with uh, Andrei Karkov, who is uh, a writer, journalist, and no- novelist who's written more than 20 books. His most recent novel is Grey Bees, which follows the Russo Ukrainian War that started in 2014 through the eyes of a beekeeper. We're talking about the current invasion of Ukraine by uh, Russia uh, and the damage that it's doing to Ukraine, not just in a physical sense but in a cultural and a historical sense. um, We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. What do you make of the current state of this war between Russia and Ukraine? Uh, What do you make of the Ukrainian resistance that is going on? I think a lot of people have been surprised by how much uh, vigor the Ukrainians are bringing to their pushback against the Russian invasion. Uh, Do you think the United States and the West are doing the right thing by imposing sanctions on Russia? Do you think they go too far or not far enough? Do you think Americans and the West ought to be doing more to try to push uh, Vladimir Putin to withdraw from uh, Ukraine? Uh, Also, give us a sense of what you make of America's stand with regard to Ukrainian refugees? Uh, is it open enough? Are we embracing uh, people who are fleeing this conflict uh, with as much enthusiasm as we should? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today. And we'll try to include you in the conversation that way. We especially want to hear from folks who have roots, either in Russia or in Ukraine. Um, Tell us how this is affecting you. How is it affecting your family? Uh, Do you have family in the region? And what are you hearing from them about, uh, about the things that are going on? Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Uh, Andre, I want to uh, talk a little about this resistance um, that Ukrainians are are putting up, and again, the the the, the surprise I think that that uh, the world has maybe been taken by a bit because of how vigorous that resistance is. What does that look like inside Ukraine? What are you seeing from? your neighbors and your community with regard to fighting back against the Russians?
2: Well, I can see that for the third time, actually, Putin consolidated Ukrainian society. And actually, because of this war, because of the war that started in 2014, because of annexation of Crimea, Ukrainians are becoming one powerful political nation. I mean the resistance is so strong because also of the solidarity of the world with Ukraine, because of the help that comes from the States, from Great Britain, from Europe, and actually I should say that actually a lot of people who are not serving in the army, who didn't rush to the front lines to defend the Ukrainian territory, who remained in their cities, I mean they became volunteers and they are helping refugees, just like we were helped when we moved uh, to Ushgurat, and an old lady gave us the key from her small apartment. And we were six, and uh, she left us the fridge with food, asking us to eat it, and she moved in with her daughter, who lived separately with the daughter's family. And so lots of people in Ukraine are helping refugees. Now, actually, we are displaced persons. My older son is helping the chronicle patients with the dialysis, kidney patients, to move to be moved from ukrainian hospitals to european hospitals my wife is teaching english to refugees and uh, my other friends from kyiv who are also displaced and who are next door in beregov in hungarian speaking uh, town of ukraine they they are invited to learn hungarian for free there are lots of courses organized for the refugees and for displaced persons so i mean you you feel that you live in one Country that is trying to survive, trying to uh, defend itself and trying very hard to remain independent and this is a nice feeling i mean i'm i'm very proud for for my compatriots for for you ukrainians uh, I mean I had lots of uh, sort of verbal issues because i'm active and ukrainians everyone has separate opinion and it 's normal actually to have Uh, very heated discussions on Facebook, for example, about everything, including the languages, Russian and Ukrainian. But when the war started again, everything was forgotten, and, I mean, everybody is together. So this is the situation now. Uh, There are queues of volunteers, actually, who want to go to the front to replace those who are killed and to help those who are fighting. So I'm quite positive that uh, we will resist... We will resist and we will defend uh, Ukraine as a nation.
1: Yeah. Okay, coming up, we're going to continue this conversation with uh, Andrei Kirchhoff about Ukraine and what is going on there. We will begin to get to your calls and your social media comments as well. in Detroit, Dave in Bloomfield Hills, you'll be up first. If you want to join them on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with a lot more Detroit to today.
0: WDET is your place for open dialogue,
3: the music you love,
0: real news and in depth analysis,
3: and cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit.
0: 101.9 WDET is your public radio station.
1: You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Our guest is Andrei Kirkov. He's a Russian-born, Ukrainian-based writer, journalist, and novelist who's written more than 20 books, and his most recent novel is Grey Bees, which follows the Russo-Ukrainian war that started in 2014 through the eyes of a beekeeper. We're talking about this current invasion by the Russians of Ukraine, uh, the damage that it's doing to Ukraine and Ukrainians, uh, and talking about the the, the social-cultural impact of what's happening. We're all, I think... Glued to the televisions and the, our phones, uh, watching images and videos of the physical damage that this war is doing. Of course, uh, there are millions of people who live in Ukraine and have lived in there in, in that region for. For a very long time, of course, um, what is the impact on them? What's the impact on their lives? What's the impact on their culture? We want to hear from you during the conversation as well. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to um, Facebook and into Twitter and put comments there, and we will work you into the conversation that way. Let's start today. With Dave in Bloomfield Hills, Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Um,
4: just a few comments from my my side. Um, I have a son in the military and a couple of nephews in the military so this mm-hmm. this conflict is really not lost on me, and I, I pray and hope every day it doesn't escalate further. Um, but I will say that I think the United States and NATO are engaged. A noble effort. Um, One of the, I would say, more justified things we've done as a country, uh, similar to our intervention to prevent the genocide in in Bosnia back in the 90s. Uh, I wish that this country were actually more open to those poor folks who have been bombed out of their homes in Ukraine. Um, We have a, as you know, uh, a large population of Eastern Europeans in Southeast Michigan here. I think the Ukrainians would add a, a great deal to our culture. And uh, I pray every day for them and I, I hope they're successful. I believe even this could have somehow a positive effect overall on Russia in the long term.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Um Dave, I really appreciate the call and and the comments and and uh, I, I, of course uh want to thank your relatives for 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 their military service which is uh, an incredible sacrifice that uh, that people make. Um let's go next to John on the east side of Detroit. John, what's on your mind?
5: Well, you know, um, you mentioned something about um, watching the news and all that. And I, I found that I just couldn't uh, rely on that. And you had another author on several weeks ago, Emmy Surratt. I had to pick up her book. And uh, I'm only 100 pages in, but what I see is a whole lot of United States intervention. And I was wondering uh, what your author has to say about our uh, our uh, handling of things over the uh, last uh, five
1: decades. Hmm. Great question, John. And and I talked earlier about the narrative that the Russians are putting out, which is that part of the problem they have is with U.S. interference in the region and in Ukraine. I don't know if that's what you're uh, you're referring to, but but Andre, uh, talk about the role that the U.S. is playing, not just actively, I guess in in this tension between Ukraine and Russia, but, but in the minds, I guess, of Ukrainians and of Russians. I, I, I feel like there is a sense of America's presence there, and there are some people who are happy about it and others who are not.
2: Well, uh, the relations between Ukraine and America are quite old and very important for, for Ukrainians because there was a huge immigration to Canada and to the States uh, starting from the 1850s, uh, from Galicia, from Western Ukraine, mostly. And since then, actually, half of Ukraine was definitely pro-American. And uh, the American dream existed in the Soviet Union in a much more powerful way in Western Ukraine and in Baltic states than in, in Russia itself. Russian narrative was always anti-American because uh, Soviet Union and Russia, they considered... Uh, America, United States, as competitor. So, I mean, it, they, they thought that actually America is fighting with Russia or Soviet Union uh, in order to dominate the world. This war in Ukraine on the higher geopolitical level is actually, uh, yes, Russian-America or Russian-Western war. And uh, Putin doesn't hide it. He said that actually this is the, the war with the collective West. Uh, but it, on the ground level, it is war against existence of Ukraine. It's the war to expand Russian Empire and to get uh, to the border with European Union. And what will happen next, one can only guess. Uh, but uh, uh, Russians, I think, and Putin sincerely believes that all the protests, all the pro-democratic uh, movements and activities in Ukraine were sponsored or paid by America including Euromaidan, including uh, the protesters were paid to be protesting, which is a complete lie because I took part in the Orange Revolution Mm -hmm. and I spent all this time on Maidan and in different cities and towns of Ukraine. I did take part in the uh, Euromaidan. I was never paid or offered any money, but at the same time, actually, anti-Maidan protesters were paid and you can find videos of these moments uh, on YouTube. So there are, there are lots of anti-American myths that existed in the Soviet time and then they, they were transferred to post-Soviet time and they exist now and they are supported in Russia by uh, official media. Yeah. But uh, yes, America is on the Ukrainian side and without American help, Ukraine probably wouldn't be able to resist uh, uh, Russian aggression. So, I mean, Ukrainians are fighting not for, for the right to be rich, but for the right to be free, for, for freedom of speech, for freedom of religion, for freedom of thought, which practically doesn't exist anymore in Russia. So Ukrainians have a choice if they suddenly, I mean, if this help is stopped uh, and uh, Ukrainians don't have enough ammunition and the country is occupied. So for Ukrainians, the choice is between emigration and they living under occupation as slaves, as
1: silent slaves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to introduce another voice to this conversation uh, as well as we talk about what is going on uh, in Ukraine and the effect of the war on the people and the uh, culture there. Um, Dr. Olena Daniluk uh, is vice president of the Ukrainian-American Civic Committee, uh, Ukrainian-American Crisis Response Committee of Metropolitan Detroit. Uh, She grew up in western Ukraine and now lives here in southeast Michigan. Uh, Dr. Daniluk, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for inviting me.
1: Yeah. So uh, this war has been going on for months, as we've been talking about. I, I wonder what it's been like for you, as someone from the Ukraine who lives here in in Southeast Michigan. Uh, tell us what you're hearing from uh, people you still have contact with there, and and how worried I guess you are about um, about the damage that uh, that this war is doing.
3: Uh, that's devastating for all Ukrainian-American community here because, as you know, those battles and over and over and over in, U- in Russian invasion to Ukraine for the last eight years, we always, it, was, it was always kept us very alerted. And right now this war is breaking our hearts and Ukrainian and Ukrainian-Americans trying to help as much as possible we can from here. And this crisis response committee, as you mentioned, is formed actually two weeks before before war broke up, because we we were trying just to raise voices to the problem, what we have been seeing all over the last eight years and escalating of those problems. And we have around 30 Ukrainian American organizations here in the metropolitan Detroit, and every of our organizations they have their vision and mission but right now they are they are all united together to to help and fight and help refugees and and do everything what we can and as for me especially for the last 10 years we had a lot of newcomers coming here and because borders were open a little bit more so more ukrainians were able to visit us here on a tourist visa to see and to uh, to be with us and right now as you know, a couple programs are existing to host refugees. But again, uh, a lot of I have six cousins in Ukraine. Uh, they are with kids with their families. They are staying in Ukraine, and Ukrainians are very brave. And they are they are still planning to stay there, fight, build, and keep safe. And they believe that we are win very soon with our support from here. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, talk about friends and family. That you have in the Ukraine and how how you're called, I guess, at this point to provide support uh, for them.
3: So when war broke up, I oh, I had a friend. I had a friend in Mariupol. They were fleeing from Mariupol to Kiev, and every single day we were tracking. So I was helping to find them shelter in west part of Ukraine with my west west Ukrainians, and right now, and I was. I was alive with them on a phone, on a text, just to trying to guide, and I understood how devastating it is in a people's life. And right now, we have millions displaced, we have devastated country, we have brave people who are fighting, and we have all this politics behind. So again, as for Ukraine, we need weapons and we need close sky. And from the first day, I was praying and 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 trying to understand why. One bully could bully the whole world, and we still couldn't protect a country uh, right now. And right now, I understood that Ukraine is just protecting the whole world. But again, we just need more help. We need more weapons and more, like, h- higher distance weapons to be able to defend ourselves. And for multiple reasons, as right now, this war is going on for a second month, and it is devastating. And for families, families. Uh, some families escape in a rural land, uh, what they do, they cook for soldiers, they, uh, kids are trying to be homeless schooling system uh, to or they are relocating to safest places, uh, but every single one trying to teach and help us as much as they can to uh, to save country and to defend, uh, to defend an enemy.
1: Again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. Call and tell us what you make of the ongoing war in Ukraine, the invasion by uh, the Russian army. We um, especially want to hear again from folks who have ties to that region, either to Russia or to Ukraine. Uh, what do you make of what's happening there? What do you think should happen? Uh, what role do you think we ought to be playing here in America to to help? Uh, the, especially the people who are fleeing Ukraine because of the war. Uh, also, what do you think of the damage that this is doing, not just physically, but to uh, the country's history and culture? Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313 You can also go to social media, put comments there, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's next go to Brad in Rochester Hills. Brad, welcome to the show. <laughs>
0: Hey, Steve, it's uh, good to hear from you again. Uh, yeah, my uh, current thoughts uh, on Ukraine is, uh, is pretty much uh, the same and uh, a slightly uh, a little bit uh, more uh, enthusiastic uh, um, as it's been uh, in previous uh, weeks, even though it's been about 77 days or so since this uh, uh, war uh, conflict has been going on between Russia and the Ukraine. And, uh I'm uh, very uh, well pleased and uh, amazed at uh, the resilience of the Ukrainian people, how they're fighting uh, for their uh, um, uh, liberties, for uh, religious liberty, and defending their political uh, values uh, for uh, uh, their fellow and uh, um, people. And uh, this is uh, something that uh, we, as Americans, that, that have cherished for so long, it so often take for granted, and it seems as if. Uh, these same uh, values that the ukrainians are fighting for have been uh uh dismantled and that they are uh, still uh, in the process of um, going into battle and just uh fighting uh, a good fight of faith so to speak and uh, just uh and standing up for what they believe in and even though that uh and many of them uh, wanted to um, get out of there, and many of them went to Poland. Some of them might have even come to the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. There are some that um, wanted to stay there, and some that have uh, left there temporarily have uh, made a comeback. And I'm uh, really uh, I'm well uh, pleased to tell, and their president, Vladimir Zelensky, is uh, every now and then when he has to is uh, leave his uh, comfort zone of his uh, Presidential office and put on a civilian clothes just to go into battle, just to fight for his uh, fellow um, country people.
1: Uh, Brad, I really appreciate the call and the insight, uh, Andre Kirchhoff, I want to talk a little more specifically about the cultural damage uh, that that you know Brad references here in in, in his call and and what you feel is happening with that in, in, in Ukraine right now. Is that something that, that is visible or, or palpable uh, while this war unfolds? Well, it's more than visible
2: because in the first days of war, a museum of famous Ukrainian naïve artist Maria Primachenko was shelled and destroyed. And while it was burning, actually the people who lived next door in the small town of Ivankiv next to Kiev they were rushing inside burning museum and taking the remaining paintings out. And they are keeping now these paintings and drawings in their houses. So, I mean, one could think that this was an accidental shell because they didn't actually uh, see what they were destroying. But several days ago, a single missile destroyed uh, the museum of the most famous Ukrainian classical philosopher, Grigory Skowarada, not far away from Kharkiv. And in the village where museum was situated, there was no military installations, there was no Ukrainian army. There was nothing of interest except for this museum. So it was obviously done on purpose. Because, I mean, since Putin believes that Ukrainians don't exist, and they exist and they have cultural identity, so this cultural identity, the history itself of Ukrainians should be destroyed from Putin's point of view. And the result, we have dozens of museums now destroyed. We have uh, historical buildings in Kharkiv, in Chernigiv, in other places destroyed. Uh, Russian military burned down the archives of Chernigiv regional KGB, which had dossiers and files on the actual repressions against Ukrainians, including Ukrainian artists and writers. So they they are trying to destroy Ukrainian history. They are trying to destroy Ukrainian identity. More than 500 schools are in ruins. The theaters, I mean, the most famous theater in Mariupol was destroyed with one super bomb, which actually, we still don't know how many people died under the rubble of this museum. But it is not the only uh, theater, it's not the only theater that is destroyed. So, So actually, and this is war not only against Ukraine as a political state, it is war against Ukrainian nation, and Ukrainian culture, and Ukrainian identity. And it makes Ukrainians actually, uh, in a way, much more self-confident. They, they understand that actually, if Russia is so much afraid of Ukrainian identity and culture, and the language, because the language was uh, banned 40 times by Russian Tsars be- before 1917. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they become even more resilient in order to defend their identity, to defend their
1: right to remain Ukrainians. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Andrei Kirchhoff, it was really, really great to have you here with us to talk about what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations uh, on your work documenting what's happening there.
2: Thank you very much for inviting me.
1: Coming up we're going to continue talking about Ukraine. We're going to keep Dr. Olena Donny Luke uh, with us. We're also going to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social media. Larissa in Royal Oak, Jonathan in Dearborn, Rob in Detroit. We will get to you next. If you want to join them on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And thanks for tuning in. We're talking about Ukraine this hour, uh, the damage that's being done by the war caused by the Russian invasion and the toll that that's taking on Ukrainian people. Want to hear from you about what you think about that, but especially want to hear from you if you're somebody with ties in the region uh, and, and have a more up-close view of what's happening there 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone that's 313-577-1019 you can also go to social media and put comments there and we'll try to include you in the program that way let's go to Larissa in Royal Oak Larissa welcome to the show
6: good morning Stephen good morning Elena Mm -hmm. Uh, Stephen. Yeah, thank you for this important conversation today Um, my my parents came post World War II. And I think we grew up always knowing that we were this time capsule of protecting the Ukrainian culture and history and language because we knew it was under threat in the Soviet Union. And just recently, uh, you know, uh, before the war, I was dealing with this box of heavy Ukrainian books and tomes uh, from from my parents, from my grandparents, you know, Mm. and moving it from location to location and. In my mind, I was thinking, well, there's a whole country that is already, has libraries of Ukrainian history and literature. Do I need to keep this box? And then after the war, I realized that all of us have to keep our boxes because we don't know if those libraries, those tomes will exist. So we continue to be uh, protectors of the Ukrainian culture and language wow. um, outside the country.
1: Yeah, Larissa, that's a that's a really wonderful story, and I'm I'm glad you're doing that. Um, I, I I can only imagine, I guess, the uh, the emotional toll though of feeling like that's that's your role or your your job um, to 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 make sure that that survives. Uh, I really I really love that you called uh, Dr. Donnie Luke. I I would imagine you are hearing stories like this quite a bit from people who are trying to, again, save what is being destroyed or at least threatened in Ukraine right now.
3: Yes, I absolutely agree. And as you know, we have Ukrainian American Archives Museum uh, in Hamtremik. And I arrived here 19 years ago. And I remember the people like from diaspora, they were resembling my grandmother. So I loved them. They were talking in a language like my grandmother used to talk. They had same customs, and they were preserving culture. If you would walk in any Ukrainian house here, you would see embroidery. You would see books on the shelves, because to on to be honest, it's hard to find like houses where you have plenty of books on the shelves with history, with schooling. And almost we have also school Ukrainian Catholic school at Warren, on the 12 mile between Ryan and Beckminder, and also Ukrainian Saturday school. Where kids who are attending public schools or other schools still could be emerged in Ukrainian culture and and uh, customs, and we have dedicated teachers here and uh, so the, and that he and I remember people were, were passing away because they're almost like eighty, ninety or hundred years old. they were thinking how they could preserve this culture further. and many of them actually were sending all these books and treasures to Ukraine, back to ukraine to to museums. And right now, we, we just don't know what what would happen. So it's very important to keep and preserve culture because, as you see, if that would be destroyed, it's you know without language, without our culture, without our treasures, it's very hard to pass it in the, in other generations and save and save Ukraine. Sure. So that's one aspect what we are doing here as a diaspora.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, Larissa, again, thanks very much for the call and sharing that story. Let's go to Jonathan in Dearborn. Jonathan, what's on your mind?
5: Good morning, Stephen, and good morning, Dr. Donaluk. I actually volunteer with Dr. Donaluk at the Ukrainian American Crisis Response uh, Organization of Michigan. Uh, I'm I'm the webmaster, but uh, <laughs> but my uh, my grandmother uh, was from Kharkiv, and well, from Lozova, and her family lived in Kharkiv for a long time. Uh, And my grandfather was from Krasnodar in southern Russia, uh, and he was a Muslim. So my family has been getting in trouble with uh, with czars for a very Mm. long time. (laughs) And uh, it's uh, just very it's very frustrating to me because my family in Russia are very depoliticized and uh, they just say that they can't do anything. I mean, they know what's going on. And in fact, one of the. Groups from Krasnodar uh, refused to go to Ukraine and fight because they said they didn't have passports and they weren't allowed to come back into the country if they left. So people are resisting there in some small ways, but uh, it's still very frustrating that they are just so depoliticized and they can't, they don't feel that they can do anything. And really they can't. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but you know, I was supposed to visit uh, Ukraine in 2014 <laughs> And then the first part of the invasion happened, and uh, and my plans had to change. And it's been very frustrating to see all of these places that I've been trying to visit my whole life uh, being bombed and shelled and invaded. Sure. And uh, you know, but I'm I'm gonna go as soon as I possibly can. <laughs> as I've soon been as it's safe. On, I've been yep I've been working on my Ukrainian a lot too. This is I I'll I will say something not in a you know. Not in a uh jingoistic way, but I was learning Russian before the invasion, uh just because that was the language that my grandmother spoke and that's what all of her writing is in. Mm-hmm. But uh, but <laughs> I switched over to <laughs> learning Ukrainian pretty much exclusively since then. Is so, that right? Uh, wow. Yeah.
1: So wow. not
5: not out you know, it it is a tragedy what's happening in Russia too, because that culture is being destroyed as well by their by their maniacs. Yeah. But uh,
1: but (laughs) Jonathan, I really appreciate your sharing all of those experiences. I mean, you know, it's it's very hard uh, for those of us who don't have ties to that region, I think, to really understand how wrenching all of this is and how much history there is behind what's happening, uh, because it's not our story. So I'm really glad that lots of people have called in today. you know to share that that experience uh dr Luke. i'll give you a chance to respond to what jonathan is saying about the danger that uh that you know uh, family members face if they are there in ukraine right now i i imagine that's also something that is really on the minds of, of people here in southeast michigan
3: yes and danger is existing every second because in in it's not depending what region in ukraine you are right now and mounting area, West Ukraine or Eastern and Eastern is bombed almost every uh, the, you know you just don't, don't know when when emergency could happen, but that's how people leave uh, with their kids right now there and would you imagine here we are in Bloomfield Hills, and tomorrow it's the Russians are here in the trenches and they're trying to take over Detroit. And people are fighting. It's very hard just to understand and comprehend on what scale it's, uh, this invasion is in Ukraine, too. Mm. And also all these missiles. And we have right now, thanks, uh, we are thankful for other countries for support. But again, this anti-missile system, what Ukraine have right now, it's a little bit too late. Uh, it's, we understand it's protecting. But if it had those systems eight years before, we would be a very powerful country to be able to protect people here in country. Yeah. And yeah. for and for Russian language in Kharkiv, because Kharkiv that was a capital of Ukraine in a past, and um, uh, because we had a huge genocide, and again this genocide was, uh, we, still Ukrainians were fighting to to, uh, to, 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 to prove that this genocide was devastating, and it's devastated almost from f- five to 10 million people on the land, and that and people were paying their life for industrialization of Russia specifically and that's why Russian language was kind of root language here they were trying to push this language and i remember when i was at university in the west part of ukraine i applied for university and i was taught in russian language in ukrainian city mm. so i was uh, I literally i was tr- listening in russian writing my concepts because at that time we were writing everything what is in writing we didn't have computers so notes uh, and i was scribing in ukrainian studying in ukrainian and later transliterating to the russian when i had to respond in a class wow. so that's kind of a small story from there but yes right now it's uh, we just every single day we're still praying it's a lot of prayers and we trying just to bring an attention because right now everyone is getting in other countries it's a lot of problems in different countries right now as you can see and people why we should care about ukraine so we still have to we still have to bring this knowledge and we still have to ring all bells and whistles because until we will not ending this war until we not prove and fight and return our borders back and uh, and just fight russians there you it would be frozen conflict and that's what we don't want we don't want the frozen conflict for next multiple years for a future because it's would be always devastating Ukraine. It's always would be destroying culture, and you know it's always would be wound in a planet. And right now, I think in this century, all world has to see, has to listen finally, and has to understand how how we would envision our world in the future. Yeah.
1: Okay, uh, Dr. Olina Donny Luke. It's really great to have had you here to talk about how all of this is playing out in Southeast Michigan. Uh, with regard to Ukraine, of course, we hope uh, your friends and family there are are safe, and of course, hope that uh, all of this ends sometime soon. But thank you very much for joining us on Detroit today. Thank you. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about a new ProPublica article that explains how people came to believe the big lie, this false notion that the 2020 election was somehow stolen from former President Donald Trump. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And uh, these days we are getting some really important help from WDET's Nick Austin. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and by Will Sessions. This is 101.9 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.